Hi! You guys want some cookies? 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 Welcome back to the garage. Welcome to another edition of the Throwback Podcast. My name is Dan Hansis, and I am joined, as I always am, by my bosom buddy, Bubby Castro. I like that. I like that intro. Pretty good. That's. I only want you to call out my name that way from now on. <laughs> All right. If that's uh, really hold out, if if that would make you a, a happier man, I, I would like to do that. And these are uncertain times that we live in. I know so little happiness to be found. And I just found a little bit right there. Yes. Uh, you know, I was just thinking about something, Bob. Um, so we were together on New Year's Eve. Yes, we were again um, and with the families. You know, we're potting, potting. So it's all above the board. Yep. COVID police out there. Yep. 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 Go fuck yourselves. <laughs> Wait. We're all going through they're, this together. They're, they're trying to. No, help. I just I don't okay. want anybody taking out their their red paint and trying to put a scarlet letter on us. Right. Uh, we're playing by the rules and we're staying healthy. But on New Year's Eve, we were at your home and um, your son, your eldest son, Dean, nine years old. Yep. Has taken an incredibly high interest in politics, yeah, uh, uh, especially politics on the left side of the political spectrum. I don't know where he got that from. And to the point where he will now, and this I would say is um, precocious and unusual behavior, but I love it about him. He will kind of close the door in his room and turn on the MSNBC not the telecast, but I guess there's a podcast that plays the telecast. No, no, he's got like he's got the kids Alexa in his room. So right. Do, oh, I see. He'll do Echo play MSNBC. Okay, so and he he's very up on the news. So if, for instance, uh, the parents are having a conversation about politics, all of a sudden you'll hear these feet stomping uh, in the distance towards us, and then <laughs> Dean will roll in and be like, "And that's what Trump doesn't understand is that he doesn't listen to people." Yeah. And then he has a really yes. kind of. Um, a strong take. I mean, he has fire takes on politics and that's great. But then I, it did get me thinking if you, if your son, your eldest son is politically minded, do you know where I'm going with this? Yeah. My youngest son is a big right winger anti-masker. So he's the one. That's not where I'm going. Oh, okay. Where I'm going with this is I'm a little bit concerned that his love of politics will lead to him seeking, um, an office in the student body government. Oh, and now I see where you're going. If with this. Right. that is to happen right. because he loves and trusts you, he is going to come to you as the RFK to his Jack Kennedy and say, dad, how do I run a campaign that will be successful? And because I love the kid, I'm concerned you as the least successful political figure. I know a man that once promised a sleigh riding club, uh, during his incredibly um, short-sighted run at student president back in 1991 and was laughed out of the auditorium uh, for having such a stupid fucking idea. A sleigh riding club? Like, we're going to have a fucking sleigh riding club? That's how you're going to get elected? That Dean is going to ask you, the sleigh riding club guy, how to become 
the student body president, which is going to lead to him losing, which is going to hurt his self-esteem, which is going to lead to him dropping out of college, which will lead to him be working at 7-Eleven for the most of his adult life. Are you at all concerned the way I am concerned? Wow. Wow. I just listen. Whoa, whoa, we're whoa, in the garage. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wow. This is the trust tree, no, and no, I'm I telling know. you. No, I know. I know. I, got it. I remember the day Dean was born. Oof. I've known him literally his entire life, and I just think he's going down a dangerous path. And the worst <clears> part <throat> is he has no idea about wow. your past. Wow. What a. Hold on. Whoa. A fucking sleigh riding club. What? Bob? <laughs> what? What a long walk. <laughs> what a long walk you just took <laughs> to fucking bury me. And the sleigh riding club. What a long I mean, way to go. Here's when New you're Year, running for student Eve. body president when you're 11. What do you say? Oh, I'm going to get a soda machine. OK, I'm going to lobby for a longer recess. This motherfucker says I'm going to get a sleigh riding club going. And, and now your son's going to ask you for help. I just I am not comfortable with it at all. Like social services getting involved level uncomfortable. I am regretting doing this album. I feel like 1993 just reminded you of middle school. I'm regretting inviting you over my house for New Year's Eve. I'm regretting potting with you at this point. Does does Dean know about your ill-fated run for office? No, because I want him to respect me as his father. (laughs) And once he knows that it's over. It's like when you find your dad like in an uncomfortable situation, like kind of. You know, that moment where, like, you see right. your dad on the toilet or something. It's like, right. that's not what you want your dad to be. You want your dad to be a strong, proud strong man. Strong and have a head on his shoulders. Yeah. yeah. You, you never know. Okay. And that, he, he's not listening to this podcast, right? I don't know. Do we he, get concerned about that the, at this does, point? Does the Echo app, <laughs> like if he says Echo, play the throwback pod? It would work, right? No, because he has the kid one. So there's, like, a filter on it. So he can't listen to explicit music or anything like that. Uh, I mean, we are getting into the danger zone, though. I know we are, yeah. With him, because especially... With what we do, because he knows me well, and he also knows that we go back, and he's always asking you about what it was like growing up and the things you did. It's only natural. Just like us, you know, my dad had the his stack of Playboy and Gent magazines behind the closet door with a key that he thought was in a good hiding space, but not, <laughs> no, was not. It's never in a good hiding space. We um, will find that. Uh, this would be almost like the 21st century version. It's a way to find out more about things you're curious about, listen to your dad's podcast. I would rather him find my porn than know about the sleigh riding club. I mean, come on. What's more embarrassing <laughs> than shame, that? The shame is off the charts. He'll know about that. He'll find out about my hip-hop dance lessons. There's all these things he's oh, not ready to know. Oh, okay. So we, we have to... He does. He's aware that this podcast exists, though, right? Yes, he knows that That's daddy, all it's going to take. Yeah. He's a kid that asks questions. He asks a lot of questions. And he was also very involved... Very up to date on the Georgia runoff election. <laughs> and he's become a great source of knowledge where, you know, we'll be talking about like a COVID vaccine and he'll come in the room and he'll just be like, well, you know, the uh, Moderna's more uh, effective for people over the age of 65. So grandma should be taking that instead of the Pfizer. I'm like, wait, what? Like, like you know? The Johnson and Johnson vaccine only takes one shot. You don't need the booster. So yeah. I, I think I can recommend that uh, to Nana. No, he's more uh, politically active. Forget forget about when I was his age than I am now. Like he, he knows everything. Right. I'm trying to think when I was nine and obviously things are different now than they were. But when we were nine years old, it was the first George Bush's presidency. And I really have no recollection of anything uh, politics based. No, the first thing politically that I think even came across our radar. I mean, the Berlin Wall coming down. Right. That was a big deal. And then uh, Operation Desert Storm because that cut right. into Friday night programming. 
And I do remember uh, we grew up in a conservative town. And I remember that uh, when they we had a lesson in elementary school of how to use the voting machines and they brought them in. The kids all used it. And you were told to when you come in, you're going to vote for uh, I guess it would have been. Uh, Bush or Dukakis. It must have been about yeah. 88. Yeah, it would have been that. And everybody voted for du- Bush uh, That in our in my class. We weren't in the same class, you and I, except for this one kid, Mike Finer, who voted Dukakis. And I remember like he was seen as a bit of an outcast for that. Yeah. So I guess parents were uh, programming the children to come into school and vote uh, conservative. That's interesting. And somehow we made it out and I made my son a super liberal <laughs> nine-year-old. So. All right. So there we go. Bob, Bob is aware that he could be a liability, but maybe maybe there's here's the other. You know, it's going to be terrible though, what? when he does run for office and he has a spotless record. Oh. Some kid is going to pull up a videotape of his of Dean's oh. dad running for office in 1991. And I'm going to sink his campaign with the sheer humiliation. But do you think look at this? And I don't want to belabor this. Too thank much God longer. there were no camera phones back then. Oh, my, oh God. my God. Oh, that would have been so good. Oh, thank God. Maybe this is your second chance, a shot at redemption. And oh, what would li- be better than helping your son succeed? Um, in student council, a lot of things. <laughs> I feel like I could rather make him do something else. Um, yeah, that'd be that'd be nice. Speaking of political office, Chris Novoselic of Nirvana once ran for office and failed, right? Yeah. He did. Yeah, he did. That, that big, tall motherfucker. And um, he was the bass player of Nirvana, who enter hollowed territory on this podcast. There are very few artists that have gotten the triple album treatment. Yes. And we actually started Nirvana. One of our early episodes in season one was Unplugged from New York, maybe mm-hmm. season two. We hit Nirvana, I believe, last year, maybe early last year. I believe. In that zone, maybe that zone. maybe 2019. And now it's in utero. Sadly, the third and final uh, LP released, Unplugged, was a live album that came out after Kurt Cobain died. Yeah, this completes the board with Nirvana. And we've done two Foo Fighters albums as well. So Dave Grohl really just dominating the throwback pod. About Grohl in a big from spot. top to bottom. Unless we do uh, like bleach and incesticide. Then, yeah, that's that's when we're definitely been doing this too long. Like yes. We talked about it in the last episode when you get to season five of a television show. It's usually the end of the road. I feel the same way about this podcast. I feel like we're in the back nine um, and it's going to hopefully go downhill in a really noticeable way because I want people to be like, man, this show sucks. And then they'll be like, but it used to be really good. Yeah. So I'll take that like, oh, it used to be good, though. Because that means at some point the show didn't suck. Yep. Now it sucks. But then it, it, it wasn't always that way. We're not there yet, though. But we will get there. Right. Yes. But we'll never be a podcast that says, oh, that podcast always sucked. Like, no, it's we'll, just a shitty we'll podcast. We'll never be that. And you know what else we won't be? That podcast that got out on top. Never. <laughs> we had that chance about a year ago. We have blown past that stop sign. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we are perfectly content with being the podcast that used to be good. Yeah. All right. oh, I can't wait. Yeah, we just By the way, the first person, you know what? We've uh, we've never landed on what we want people to say on iTunes. <laughs> Give us five stars. OK, this is and, good. And just say, man, this podcast used to be good. Five stars. There you go. <laughs> there you go. All right. So we're going to get into In Utero 1993. Um, do, are we talking about anything that happened in 93, Bob? Or are we well, getting right a, to it? A very little bit, Dan. Uh, album came out on September 13th. Put it on the board. 1993. Also. 
Dean's birthday, September 13th. How Put it that? on the board. Very interesting that you I decided to that. use my son to just backhandedly insult me about my yes. failed 1991 run against Chris Carley, star of Gran Torino. I remember that being a concern around the time of Dean's birth. It was really more a concern on my behalf. No, no, we yours. were very concerned, too. Because you didn't want to land on the 10th anniversary of 9-11. Right. And you nearly did, but did not. Nope, came out. And then it turns out, for me, my second son was born on the day Donald Trump won the election. Right. So I'm the one that got hit with the uh, <laughs> uh, atrocity in America. And I didn't wish that on you either. It just kind of worked out that way. <laughs> Which I, I think I told this story in the podcast, but since it connects, my wife went into labor. It was a, a C-section, not to be give away too much information about my private life. But when your wife has a C-section, it's a medical procedure. So they bring her into the room with the doctors, and she is basically a prep period of about 30 minutes. And the, um, the father is told to sit outside the hospital room and wait till you're called in. And the father's only brought in right when the, the show really starts. You're not there for the opening act. And while I was sitting there, um, this is in November 2016, I texted Bob my closest, longest-running friend, and I said, man, this is crazy. And Bob texted back, yeah, man, it's such fucking bullshit. I can't believe he won. <laughs> I was like, all right, Bob. <laughs> See ya. Don't care about your little, your little drama with your life. There's bigger fish to fry right now. All right, so it was in 1993. I don't remember when it came out because, honestly, I wasn't even into of course. music that hardcore. So I wasn't like, oh, my God, the follow-up to Nevermind is out. But you ready for the thing I'm trying to get to the bottom of? What? So this came out September 13th, according to uh, Google.com, which is a website you go to for information. Sure. September 14th, 1993, August and everything after, Dan. Oh. So is this a Monday-Tuesday deal, a Tuesday-Wednesday? How is that even possible? It was Tuesday for many, many years, but maybe all the way back in the early 90s, there was a little bit of a different protocol. I guess now so. it's Friday. Albums drop of on Friday. Yeah, yeah. But uh, as of like until like t about 10 years ago, it was well known that albums always dropped on Tuesday, which seemed so strange and arbitrary, but that's the way it was. Yep. Uh, other One other huge album for us came out that in, month then in September 1993 yes huge album for uh was it uh, mental jewelry by it, live it was not mental jewelry great guess I mean terrible guess <laughs> but great guess if I was if I was better at prep tonight I would have had something all queued up and ready to go from this oh darn it's not a musical album Dan Oh, is it Yankovic, uh, the Jurassic Park album? That's a musical album. That's quality <laughs> music. And that came obviously after oh, Jurassic Sandler. Park. Oh, Sandler. Was it Sandler? Adam Sandler's They're All Gonna They're Laugh gonna at You. They're All Gonna Laugh at You. Came oh. out in September 1993. We have um, spoken before about that because that album was incredibly important to us, as was the follow-up, What the Hell Happened to Me. Yes. <laughs> um, and uh, we wanted to do that. We've talked about do it. Do it, but it's we... like, I don't know... We've never figured out if you actually can do an Adam Sandler comedy album on the throwback. No, because we would be sitting here laughing about it. We're not going to we're not going to be funnier than the album. Right. So, like, what are we going to do? And there's not much entertainment from just talking about why that was funny, because that's the last thing you ever want to do. Whenever you have to explain the joke, it's just there's right. nothing entertaining about that. Right. So but if you're somebody who's never going to laugh at you, if you're somebody who's never heard this album and you want to know what made young Bob and Dan uh, laugh until they peed themselves. <laughs> it's that. It was just incredible. 
Wait, should I play just the one clip of from the album? You want to play the buffoon? Let's I mean, that was because that was the one that killed me the most. And this was one of those things where you didn't get a the copy. Bu- of the buffoon and the dean of admissions. Yes. Okay. Yeah. You didn't get a copy of this. Somebody a little bit older than you, like a, a junior in high school, had the cassette and then would play it somewhere, like not at a party because you're not cool enough to go to a party with a junior. But like you would be in a group and somebody would have it and they'd play it for you and you'd be like, holy shit, what was that? And then you would find a way to get like a burned copy of it for yourself. All right, let's play it. Let's play it in full. It's two minutes and 16 seconds. Since we, we've always wanted to do the album, but we know we really can't, let's enjoy uh, The Buffoon. Wait, we're to play the whole thing? Yep, two minutes, 16 seconds. <laughs> Is that? The, the Buffoon and the Dean of Admission uh, played, I believe, by Conan O'Brien. Of course, yes. And now, a buffoon's meeting with the dean of admissions at a prestigious college. Do you know why I think we should play the whole thing, Bob? Because there are thousands of people that listen to the show that don't even know this exists. Yeah, it's true. This is the gateway. Okay. Well, Michael, I'd like to extend my warmest congratulations on your upcoming graduation. And I understand... And if you're not an Adam Sandler fan, just fast forward, hit the cycle forward button about six times. Dan, you're interested in matriculating here in the fall. I got a snake, man! Yes. Pets are welcome here on campus, be it the traditional dog or cat, or even the occasional reptile. One time I fed it some beer, man! It was slivering this way and that! It was all fucked up! I'm sure it was. Well, we discourage inappropriate drinking among both students and pets here on campus. Fucking shit! Yes, that's a not uncommon reaction to this policy. So tell me a little bit more about your background. My father's a fucking asshole, man! Hmm, I see. Your feelings of rebellion are not unusual at your age, son. My mother's a piece of shit, too! Well, I hope you can find an outlet for your hostility over the summer. So you can come to school in the fall relaxed and ready to learn. My teacher in high school was a stupid bitch, man! She had her head way up her ass! Well, the quality of the faculty at a university such as ours far exceeds that of a local public high school. Your secretary's a real fat bitch, man! Yes, she's tried many diets over the years with minimal success. I had diarrhea last month! I had to shit all fucking day! Uh Uh-huh. Well, we all get the occasional stomach bug. Never a pleasurable experience. So, have you given any thought to your choice of major? I've got a big fucking boner right now! <laughs> mm, I see. Well, sexual arousal is not uncommon during periods of nervous tension. I do not take offense. <laughs> One time I ate my neighbor's shit! <laughs> Jesus. That's understandable. Well, I enjoyed meeting you, and we'll be sending you our decision by the end of the month. I bet you got really hairy balls! Yes, yes it's, it's a very little down, down there. there. Bye-bye. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> later in the later so that's what the episode would be would be like it would just be hearing us laugh in the background so like because it's still it's, yeah that's pointless gets us. right so if you if if that's something that <laughs> appealed to you please check out the there, entire there's a line the buffoon comes back later and there's a line where he goes that girl in the fucking car in front of us <laughs> she gives everybody head and i didn't know what head was oh, yes. i remember like wanting to know what that meant all right it was a very um adult themed comedy for we were a little bit beneath the age range for it in a way or it was right in our wheelhouse it was kind of right there kind of right there yeah um anything else bob 
Uh, well, you know, we did August and everything after. If you want to know more things that happened, go listen to that episode. There you go. How That's about that? Cool. I like that. Frasier premiered. <laughs> what a spinoff, though, Bob. I know yeah. you've had your issues with Kelsey Grammer, but... Are we just going to go through all of the shit? <laughs> the great sins. My great failures in life, the great moments that have made me miserable. All right, so <laughs> let's not, Bob. Let's okay. let's stay positive and, uh, and play, before we get into Nirvana, the number one hit in what country? Germany. Germany in uh, January 1993. September. Four non-blondes. September, sorry. 25 years I'm a lot still. Trying to get up that great big heel of hope. It was slithering this way and that. I realized quickly when I knew I should that the world was made up of this brotherhood of man. Or whatever that means. Into a crisis. I mean, what? First of all, great song. Great song. I know it, it, it was so ubiquitous and so huge that it became like a song that was famous for people hating it, too. Yeah, she kind of got like spin doctored where it was just so big for that era. Right. That, yeah, it became a punchline. And I think there was also a little bit of um, backlash against her. And some of it was the Times. Uh, that she was not trying to look like a pretty pop star. This is, of course, Linda Perry, who went on to be a huge uh, pop songwriter. That she didn't, she wasn't traditionally uh, going for you know the dudes in the back row of the arena. And I think some people made made that out to be a reason to make fun of them as well. Yeah, I, th- I remember there there was like conversations about her not shaving her armpits at the time. Right, like it was that kind of thing where at the time was like, how dare she? Was she was she like a lesbian, like out and proud at, I don't back know. then? I don't. I have no idea. Is she a lesbian out and proud now? I don't know anything about Shit, Linda Perry's right. personal life. I'm pretty sure. She I is. know that she wrote uh, the best Aerosmith song ever. Which one did she write? Oh no, never mind. I'm thinking of somebody else. Never mind. She wrote like I got a excited for a second. Ton of big. I know. Um, yeah. Katie, not Katie Perry. Yes, no, Pink. Pink. That's when she like yes. popped up again, and she wrote like all of Pink's big hits uh, when Pink went pop slash rock. Yes, that's right. Now I'm like nervous that Linda Perry is married no, you're to probably... a guy with four kids or something. <laughs> Did you just out her though? Is that I it? don't know. I don't know. But she, they definitely uh, had a different look to them, and then it was kind of grating a little bit because it was played so much. Again, monoculture stuff. Like it was just yeah. on everywhere. It was on yep. MTV. She would be, you know, I guess they played on SNL. They did this, they did that, and you couldn't get away. Holy shit, dude. You're right. Not only is Linda Perry a lesbian, she's yes. married to Sarah Gilbert. Yes. Roseanne. Fucking yeah. You I did nailed it. that, you dude. You did it. You did it. All right. Good. Great. All right. Now. <laughs> now, it's a good song, though. What a great podcast. <laughs> what a great podcast we are. <laughs> we listen to uh, Adam Sandler bits in their entirety. We, we learn things live on the air. <laughs> 
Things that most people probably know already. Right. Okay. Oh, personal life. First sentence yeah. on Wikipedia. Perry is a lesbian. As Dan said. <laughs> um, uh, ooh, earlier at the 1994 Billboard Music Awards, she displayed the slang word dyke on her guitar for a performance with four non-blondes. That's exactly what I'm saying. There you go. That was a little, that was outside the box yep. in the early 90s to do that. The box, Dan. Wow. Nailed it. All right. Good for her. I love that song. And we're very and supportive think, of all uh, gay rights and things of that nature. We've always been that way. We have always been that way. Yeah, we're true. pretty cool about that. Yeah. We could have been, you know, monstrous kids from the suburbs and not, not had any understanding of that. But I think we had an open mind. I think we did. And Bob's gay. So. Well, I mean, as we're as we're saying this, I'm like trying to think of like a funny thing to say at the end of it. But no, it would just undo everything that we were just saying. Um, uh, what were you saying, Bob? Go ahead. I was just saying that I wasn't saying anything at all. I uh, liked oh. that song a lot at the time. Oh, yeah. I think it played at my bar mitzvah, maybe. I wouldn't know. It wasn't there. Yep. Fuck you. Yep. But uh, this is Germany. Are you just trying to settle scores there because I brought up the sleigh riding club? Maybe. You want to bring up that you didn't invite me to the bar mitzvah? Maybe. With your fake A-list clientele? By the way. Yes. We've never told the Kelsey Grammer thing before. I realized that after we said that. We've never told the Kelsey story? We've never talked about the Kelsey Grammer story. Wow, really? Somehow we've made it 100. And Why don't we tease it for next episode so we're fully prepared? Okay, I mean, I, I've already taken a hit with the sleigh riding club, so yeah. <laughs> one in utero the follow-up to nevermind one of the most important rock albums of all time was serve the servants and um i always love this song me too i don't I, think we've ever talked about that i always love this song too i love that line too i always wanted to have a father but instead i had a dad there's all sorts of like kurt cobain working through some hardcore shit guy had some great daddy issues yeah i mean he had so many issues it, it went through all all like cut through all things in his life he was such a deeply unhappy guy uh and of course a year after this album came out he killed himself and less than a year less than a year and it's like it's crazy listening to this because as the legend goes cobain is the songwriter and the leader of the band was so put off by Nevermind being this incredibly huge pop album is what it was. It, was a, it wasn't recorded to be that way, but it turned into like a popular uh, pop music in the mainstream album. So he sought out producer Steve Albini, and I think that's how you pronounce his name. Albini. Albini, and produced this raw, like 
strange album that is not melodious like uh, Nevermind was in any way, trying to lose fans. Put out a huge mainstream album trying to lose fans, Bob. You know who he lost? Young Bob, Bob Gastrone. Yeah. This album was too much for me. Lost you. Well, yeah, we'll hear this song didn't lose me, but we'll hear as we get more into it. This is a punk album, even more the way that Nevermind. I remember when we did that episode on this podcast, we compared them a lot to the Beatles and just kind of Mm -hmm. they were doing that Pixies quiet, loud, quiet, loud. But he had those melodies and harmonies that were Beatlesque. This is a punk album. This is more like the bleach and the incesticide kind of style of Nirvana, where it's a lot less accessible. And I think. We'll see as we get deeper into it, but it was, it just didn't do it for me. Yeah. I mean, it's, and you, um, and many other American rock fans gravitated toward Pearl Jam, which was just the more palatable brand of music because after 10 Pearl Jam released, um, versus versus, which is very radio friendly, very, which is, and there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, they essentially said, we're a huge rock band now. Uh, we're a radio band. We're going to release music. And Eddie Vedder wrestled with that, too, as we know. Mm-hmm. When he got to Vitology, after he wrote Better Man, he didn't even want to put it on the album because he's like, oh, fuck, this is going to be an inescapable hit. Yeah, Vitology is a perfect example of a band that couldn't help but write these inescapable hits and then tried to get weird around those hits. Right. Every other song on Vitology is him just yelling about rats and just being weird right. and just kind of making weird noises. But then you have corduroy. Right. So so that's kind of a half measure. And we always, whenever we end up talking about Nirvana and Pearl Jam, um, I feel like you and I are not exactly on the same page with Pearl Jam. We are not. Because I will say that, like, that's maybe the difference between Eddie Vedder and Kurt Cobain. Like, that's a half measure with Eddie. He's like, I want to have my cake and eat it, too. Whereas Cobain just went the whole way. He was like, I am going to write an album that's just a total mess for certain people and i'm gonna t- i mean listen again let's listen well, I, yeah i wonder the, if we'll get let's get deeper into this because i have a thought okay that. i just i think here i just want to do well here's what i was gonna say yeah, go i wonder if a part of that is because pearl jam is a band eddie vetter is the front man and he's obviously the heart and soul of it but jeff Ament, stone gossard they were there first whereas nirvana was kurt cobain's project he was the end-all be-all Eddie Vedder, for whatever weird stuff Eddie wants to do, he's got a real band that he's still playing with to this day that he's got to get things through. So I wonder if there was a push and pull with Pearl Jam yeah, that's, to kind of figure that's out fair. where they would land. That's fair. Um, because, yeah, I think Cobain was, like you're saying, he was the entire uh, leading uh, creative force with Nirvana. Um, but before we get to the next song, so this is what the first thing you hear when you put Never mind on for Nirvana was this, of course. All right. So never, never heard it's that like, before. don't know what that is. That's a huge, that's a great guitar riff and the drums crashing. And it's like, that's a great fucking radio song. 
This is how in utero starts. <laughs> it's like, go away. Get away from me. Sloppy. That's completely on purpose. He was trying to shed all these fans um, as we get into the next track, which is Scentless Apprentice. Um, it's almost like the act of, it's very punk move, yep. but also the act of a sick guy. Right. Here we go. Here's Scentless Apprentice. And again, dead, what, seven months after the album comes out? I mean, I laugh, but it's kind of sad. In this chorus, he's screaming, go away. Yeah. Like, it's almost like he doesn't want anything to do with the world he's in at this point. I mean, Eddie Vedder's version of this was This Is Not For You, which is a catchy-ass song that they played on SNL. Like, Right. This is not that. This is literally go away. I'm going to make it. It's like your kid yelling at you. Right. I mean, there's that famous story of... Um, i trying to remember what the exact story was, but it was Kurt Cobain looking out into the audience and realizing all these people or many of the people of the show are the people that tortured him in high school. Right. And he just had such uh, distaste for all these millions of fans that had, had fallen in love with his music, which is, I mean, just such a... I mean, fame is a mindfuck for everybody. I mean, it was... And that's a big well, part yeah, you, of... You're, you're, Let me take you through yeah, it. I want you to talk about Let me it. Take then. you through it. So, as somebody who Paul Rudd is name checked on television, what's it like to be famous? It's for me. Every morning starts with staring in the mirror for ten minutes. Ten minutes, and just saying, "Love yourself, love yourself," and that's how I got through it. Uh, but I would say, like the in music, all the big bands that have the breakout album record the, you know, fame is weird. I'm fucked up because of it. Yep. But nothing was more authentic than Kirk Cobain doing it. Uh, except for Mark McGrath's 1459. <laughs> Let's just talk about Sugar Ray every episode this season. When you listen to um, Every morning there's a highway on the road of my neighbor's bedpost bed. Yep. That's how you know. That was his That was his scentless apprentice. Supposed to be a really nice guy, Mark McGrath, by the way. Yeah, I could see that. I don't know if there's a brain in his head, but definitely not. It's been Botoxed out. It's very easy uh, to survive fame if you're a fucking idiot, which I'm not <laughs> saying Mark McGrath is. But no, but that's a great quote. <laughs> like just in general. That's great. All right. So that Scentless Apprentice, it's kind of a fucking terrifying song. Terrifying. Um, and if you are put yourself in the shoes of a Nirvana fan that listened to Nevermind on repeat. Um, for two years and then pop this in and two tracks in 
you have the clanging uh, mania of uh, serve the servants, but which at least has a, a catchy chorus buried yeah. in there. And, but then you have the absolute insanity of Scentless Apprentice. So then it came time for Nirvana to pick a single uh, to launch the album. And what they went with was Heart Shaped Box. Top three Nirvana song. I have to say, I haven't listened to this with fresh ears. It's been a long time. 25 years. This is a cool song. Such a cool song. Great. Great. And a, a Just cool. highly memorable, dark, strange video to go with it, directed by Samuel Bayer, I believe. Uh, perfect uh, connection to the song that just like sticks in your mind forever. And I would say for all the talk that we, we opened this album with, um, and all that's going to come because it's going to continue to get darker and louder and angrier. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is fairly traditional by Nirvana standards. This this doesn't stand out as something that's attempting to be hard on the ears. Kurt Cobain at least understood he had to deliver one real single, right? And that's this. And this is obviously the single. I mean, like you said, this could be this could almost be on Nevermind. It does sound a little more polished in some ways, for sure. Than Nevermind. So even Kurt Cobain, who was as true to himself as any rock star ever has been, still understood the business end of it enough that Heart Shape Box, this is a radio song. Yeah, he's like, I'm going to put this song on the radio and it has to be the one that has the line, I will eat your cancer when you turn black. <laughs> Just like any normal pop star would do. That's a great fucking line. Great fucking line. That was one of those where like, when it came on in the car, my mom would be like, ugh. What is this? What is this? That's terrible. I mean, there was that. There was uh, Radiohead's Creep got turned off a lot because she just didn't like that he was so negative about himself. You know, <laughs> there was like a lot of that kind of stuff happening back then. Great Cobain guitar solo. The song reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks chart. It also made top ten in several countries, Portugal, the United Kingdom, Ireland, Finland, and New Zealand. How about that? The video is directed by Anton Corbin. Oh, that makes sense. There you go. Fuck that one. That was a really cool video. Really cool video. And it was one of those videos that just, it was like one of those aesthetic videos where it's like, that's what Nirvana feels like now. Right. Like the album cover, which was weird. Like, how would you describe that album cover with the wings? Like, it's like a in. I don't know how to describe it. I don't know how to describe it. 
like almost was like, it like that guy? Remember, like in the eighties, there was the guy, Mister Body or Mister Slim, Mister Goodbody, Mister Goodbody. Yeah, perfect. Yeah, it's like Mister Goodbody with a uh, couple of wings. That's how I would absolutely describe that album. And then on the back, they should have got Mister Goodbody. And then on the back, I feel like they were like the back was gross. There was like weird stuff. So gross. Them, like intestines, maybe. Was there a big fat guy in a Mister Goodbody um, <laughs> suit in the video? Uh, yeah, I think there was. Was there a woman? I can't remember. We gotta get Mr. Goodbody on the show. He might be dead. Does Mr. Goodbody? Do you think that's something that everybody listening remembers, or anybody? By everybody, I mean anybody. It's a good question. Heart Shaped Box was the last song Cobain performed live with Nirvana, March first, nineteen ninety-four, a week before his death. And he wrote Heart Shaped Box in early nineteen ninety-two. He forgot about the song for a while, but began working on it again when he and his wife, Courtney Love, moved. To a house in the Hollywood Hills. How about that? But we lived in the Hollywood Hills. We did. And I'm the sure, Vine Hills, technically, I believe, but it's all the same. I'm sure our experience was very similar to theirs. <laughs> what the fuck was going on in that house? The only cool thing, or one of the cool things about the house that we lived in, was when we found out that Stevie Nicks used to live next door. Yes. And the people that moved into the house said when they went to the basement and they were clearing stuff out, they found a pile of cocaine. Right. Not like a, a trail of cocaine. <laughs> A pile like, of cocaine on a glass coffee like table. left behind yes. in the basement. We also were told, in addition to that, that a the previous occupant was an old woman whose husband had died years earlier. And she was famous for kind of walking around um, the block and the hills in this area. And then one day she stopped. This is a true story. One day she stopped being seen around the neighborhood. And there was some concern. And as the legend goes, and the legend is really just our landlord telling us this, um, the woman had uh, become a pack rat. You know, what are, what's that called? The people that have... Hoarder. Hoarder. And in this house where we lived, um, she had fallen, and then a pile, like a bunch of boxes had fallen on top of her. And since she lived alone in the secluded house in the Hollywood Hills... Uh, she wasn't found until long after she was gone. And as we were told, and why would the landlord lie about this? Because why would you tell the fucking tenants? Uh, well, why would you anyway? But why would you lie about it? Uh, the rats had gotten to her. Yeah. How about that for a fucking story? That's a fucking That's story. That's an in utero story and for your ass. <laughs> and you being a ghost guy, that freaked you the fuck out. Because there was something going on in that house. And I'm not necessarily a ghost guy, but... That house. You and like every dumb actress in Hollywood, you're all ghost guys. No, 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 no. It's, this was, I would never, I've never been a ghost guy. Um, but there was things, there were things going on in that house. And I remember, cause I worked, I was working in a part-time capacity for MLB.com when I first moved to LA. So there'd be times where I would stay back at the house and work MLB and you guys would go to a coffee shop or whatever uh, to write. And it was never, I never had it. It's not like I saw a floating um, like librarian or something <laughs> or anything like that, but yeah. there was a sense of unease in the house. And there were absolutely some moments that other people can attest to hearing things, hearing people walking upstairs when there was no one upstairs. That house had some shit going on in it. Well, I stand by it to this day. You and Jason, both ghost guys, were, were swearing by that. And then like some of the actresses we would have hang around, ghost girls. You guys were all just having fun with your little ghost stories. I wasn't buying any of that shit. I'm telling you, man. I don't. I wouldn't lie about that. 
there was spirit in there. Eaten by rats, Bob. Rape me. Rape me, my friend. Rape me. Rape me. Okay, so again, this goes back to the main point that we keep hitting because this song, the melody, uh, the guitar riff, that big chorus where it's crashing in, is all, that's it, all it. That's a radio hit. And it's almost like he was like, no, I can't do that. I'm going to write, I'm going to call the song Rape Me and make it almost impossible to be a commercially successful endeavor. Like it's like he booby trapped a sure hit. This is one of those songs where, well, number one, going back to the uh, car with mom, forget about getting oh. this past anybody. What in She's the hell? She's confiscating the album. What in the hell is on the radio right now? What is this world coming to with Rape Me? I mean, the fact that this was a single at all. But it's one of those songs where, again, like, we, we, can, we can only imagine what was going on in the head of Kurt Cobain. But would the step down from Rape Me to Hate Me if that was the name of the song, how big of a song could hate me have been? You know what I mean? Right. It's like, so it's so, especially in 1993, maybe in you. 2001. Right. But it's so wanting to hit you in a guttural place, which is what Cobain was going for, that there was no, like you said before, half measures. Like he was going for rape me and that's it. I love the, uh, catharsis at the end of this song. I want to, I want to listen to that. And again, this is a fucked up sick guy. And you and when you listen to this album you can hear it. Listen to how this ends. Do you think if do you think if Kurt Cobain was alive in the early 2000s, late 90s, early 2000s, he would have sold the rights to that song and recorded a new version called Rate Me for HotOrNot.com? I feel like in a different time, in a different yeah. setting, in a different place in his life, it's possible. I always thought this song was about um, kind of connecting to I don't sell out to the corporate machine type thing and like, but you're using me as a commodity. And maybe that was a underlying lyrical meaning to the song uh but according to the research i'm doing in real time it's explicitly about <laughs> you can't call it research if you're doing it in real time i'm searching <laughs> um it's an anti-rape song it's about that explicitly and when he was asked about it um uh and told that it was helping raise awareness about sexism cobain replied by writing songs as blunt as rape me uh, that's how he raises awareness. He stated it was a song meant to be so blunt that no one could misinterpret its meaning. Which and is yet, that's hilarious what I to me because right. that's how it was presented back in when the set came out was it's about raping me as an artist. It's about the record industry. I, I'm sure we could. I'm sure that didn't frustrate him at all. That was a, bit a guy insane. teetering like, on the edge. And it's like it's the most literal <laughs> thing I could have ever given you idiots. And you're thinking you it's about hit, you won't my let album me have it. sales. You won't let me get that message out to you. And also there was a. Um, 
in the 1992 MTV Music, Music Video Awards, Video Music Awards, they wanted him to play Smells Like Teen Spirit. He wanted to play Rape Me, which I guess wasn't even released yet. Uh, and there was a big fight behind the scenes. He, he agreed to do Smells Like Teen Spirit, uh, but opened the performance with the opening chord progression uh, of Rape Me, just as a little fuck you to the suits over at Viacom, Bob, which I always enjoy. Hey, you know what? There's some good people over there, Dan. Leave them alone. <laughs> Um, all right, let's keep moving that. I mean, again, I think if you put different lyrics on that song, that would exactly that would fit right after lithium on Nevermind. Absolutely. It could have been a big hit. That was not what he was looking for here. Um, And I kind of blew by it and I wanted to mention it again because I think it's um, such an important song on the album because it was the gateway. It was the first thing everybody was going to hear. The opening line of the opening song, Serve the Servants, is teenage angst has paid off well. Now I'm bored and old. Late fees. That could have been a thing, right? Like you could have just really. Late fees. It would have worked. Yeah, could have been for like Blockbuster. All right, up next. Really provocative title. Frances Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. Yes. Yes, I'm relieving, but now that you're leaving, soon as you can pay. Yes, I'm relaxing, but hear that you're resting, never you get away. Yes, I'm soothing, but now that you soothe me. I'm liking this so much right now. Like this is good. I like. That. I really like this now. But at 14, when I had this album, you had Heart Shape Box on the radio all the time, and the video playing on MTV. You had Rape Me playing on the radio all the time. Right. And I don't even. I don't know if you know this, Dan. What? I traded the CD. For what? With Joey Costa. Right. Went to Joey. He wanted Nirvana. I think the his mom. On. I think his mom wouldn't let him get it. So his mom was a hairdresser. This was a this was a back alley way of him getting in utero. And do you know what I traded it for? Spin doctors? Get ready to turn up the music after okay. I say it. A U2 album. You traded it for Zeropa. No, I don't think so. I think it was an older one. Frances Farmer was an actress from Seattle who suffered um, from mental illness and was fucked over by the um, the medical community. And it was kind of a well-known thing that she was in and out of like involuntary con- uh, confinement. And Kurt Cobain and Courtney Love saw her as a patron martyr. 
that Wait, they... you're, not, you're not reading this now. Did you just know that? I knew that. I knew really? that. Because when you, when you call a song, Francis Farmer will have her revenge on Seattle. Yeah, yeah. That's going to cause you to do some research. It's true. And that's why I think he did it. He's like, learn about this crazy bitch. <laughs> <laughs> um, like it. Get it, though. Yeah. You know what the other thing was is that one of the things he was running from was that he was now the sound of rock. Yeah. And after Nevermind blew up, every, like, you know, almost every other artist that was on the radio was trying to write Nevermind. And then if there were, if there were, you know, teenage kids from the suburbs, you're naturally going to be like, I love, I love Purple by Stone Temple Pilots. <laughs> Right. Because those guys, you know, they're writing radio hits. They're trying to get to the level that Nirvana did accidentally. And Cobain was, again, rebelling against all that. Yeah. He was successful. It must suck to be a leader when you don't want followers. Well put, Bob. He didn't want any of it. No. But then people just kept following him and misinterpreting him. And he was just a tortured dude that happened to be incredibly successful. I worry. I worry. As you know, the kind of front men of the dad bods, mm. what's going to happen after we achieve like that nevermind esque success? Like, how am I going to rebel? Mm-hmm. And I'm just taking this album in right now, and like, I could see the dad bods kind of heading in this direction ultimately, like just staying in kind of the realm of what the dad bods are and what your ceiling is. I feel like your way of rebelling would eating a block of cheddar cheese in front of the TV and watching <laughs> Netflix. <laughs> Similar. I mean, it's similar to what he was doing. All right, here we go. Is the Dad Bods album going to be original material? Well, obviously. Oh, no. We're not a cover band. Come on. Oh, fuck. Have we heard from the guy that has the Hammond B3 organ in uh, Minnesota? <laughs> as far as we know, that's still waiting for us in Minnesota. Because that's my only entry point into the dad bots. like this song a lot. Always did. Loved it on the Unplugged album. And this, unlike other songs of the Unplugged album, which made the Unplugged album so special, was where they kind of picked the songs apart and put them back together. Mm -hmm. This is pretty true uh, to what you hear on the album version. Right. And this is one, yeah, unlike uh, like About a Girl, which was something that many Nirvana fans didn't really know until Unplugged. And then you went back and you discovered the full electric version of it. And you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing. This song obviously came first and the unplugged version was just another great version of the song. Right. And that, and true to Kurt's like, fuck you mentality. They played three songs on the unplugged album off the latest album, dumb penny royalty, which we'll hear soon. And all apologies mm-hmm. did not play heart shaped box. Of course, which was the huge single, their last huge single. And you know MTV wanted them to. Of course MTV like, no, wanted them to. I, That doesn't fit with what the theme I'm going for here. We don't know the right way to play that to make it work. And so go fuck yourself. Judy McGrath was just like chain smoking cigarettes on 1515 Broadway. Just like, <laughs> what do I have to do? What do I got to do to get this guy to do what I want? <laughs> Africa down. Africa down. Africa down. Africa down. 
I think I'm dumb. That's a very 90s sentiment. And many other copycats would write in that type of uh, self-effacing manner going forward. But you weren't hearing it. There was no song about I think I'm done in the 80s. No, I was going to say that's a very specific thing. Or to, today. To our generation. Yeah. As we were coming of age, there were a lot of songs about how terrible you were. Right. Uh, Beck's breakthrough hit is Loser. I'm Radiohead's loser. first hit is Creep. Creep. You have Dumb. Yeah, there were a lot of people singing about what pieces of shit they were. I wonder how that affected us, Dan. Hmm, that's that's an interesting thing. <laughs> I think I was such a blissfully dumb 12 or 13-year-old that none of that stuff ever like seeped into my brain. No, not on the surface, but deep down. Deep down. So your it's psyche, only now coming out. Yeah, it was hitting you like I'm Is that dumb. why I feed a squirrel in my backyard now? That's why you're, you you text you texted our, our the families that I have been replaced by Gus the squirrel as your best friend <laughs> and yeah, bosom he buddy. Took, he took over. I mean, he never talks back, doesn't have any fucking terrible campaign ideas. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know what he's doing in his little squirrel world. Uh, Dumb was never released as a single, Bob, but it did reach number 37 on the U.S. alternative national airplane chart. So people there and we had the great Matt Money Smith on our show over the summer who uh, ran the things over at K-Rock L.A. in the 90s and early 2000s. That's so it seems like um, based on the way Money explained if you're a program director, you can dig through an album and just rip an out non-album track or non-single off it and play it if you really like it. Mm-hmm. And that was a palatable song compared to other things. So you get why that might have been put on the radio. Well, and I'm sure that climbed up the radio charts after he died nary a year later. Mm, 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 mm. Put it on. But wait, he died? Oh, dude, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to, right. I didn't mean to say that. That reframes everything. All right, here's Very Ape. Check in with SD Stephen Thomas Erlon. We don't. That's not a thing we have to do every episode. It it's doesn't been feel done like for four years, Bob. It doesn't feel like a thing that we need to keep going back to. I believe now we are music experts. I get yeah. that. So, so people are already getting the expertise. So you're saying it's redundant to have another expert. It's honestly it's a step down when we have two already. Right. Fair. I will counter that Stephen Thomas Erlon is a god. Oh come on. Who truly understands the art of music in a way that even we as musicians never will. Would a God shit on cakes fashion nugget? Come on. Don't answer that. From Just STE. Keep, all right. Nirvana probably hired Steve Albini to produce in utero with the hopes of creating their own surfer Rosa, or at least shoring up their indie cred after becoming a pop phenomenon with a glossy punk record. In utero, of course, turned out to be their last record, and it's hard not to hear it as Kurt Cobain's suicide note, since Albini's stark, uncompromising sound provides the perfect setting for Cobain's bleak, even nihilistic 
lyrics. Even if the album wasn't a literal suicide note, it was certainly a conscious attempt to shed their audience, an attempt that worked, by the way, since the record had lost its momentum when Cobain died in the spring of 1994. Are you done? I've totally tuned out (laughs) as you were talking. I don't need that man's words passing through my ear holes. Listen, Cake's Fashion Nugget wasn't that good. It was. And I always thought that. And until SDE releases, no, until he apologizes to John McRae and all the cake heads out there. John McRae. And all the cake heads out there. That basic motherfucker. And all anybody who's ever owned a bucket hat until he apologizes to them. Wait, Stephen Thomas Erlewine, the chief rock critic for All Music. Dot com Who even goes to all music needs dot com? to apologize to every fucking asshole that ever wore a bucket hat. Yes. If you, you know ever, how many of you assholes are out there, if you've ever had a bucket hat, if you've ever had your cartilage pierced, <laughs> if you've ever had a goatee, STE owes you an apology. Man, I gotta, I gotta find a way to make the peace between you two. There's gotta be a way. No, that's it. Issue the apology. Here's milk it. This sounds like a big hit. This is probably the one that got me running to Joey Costa. God, I really want to know which uh, U2 album I bet it was like Joshua Tree or something. And I don't know what ended up happening with it because I didn't have it for long. That's strange. It is. Because you didn't really start hating U2 until you realized how much I loved them. Correct. Which, again, is like a a dark night in the soul of Bob Castrone. Is is it surprising after the way that you just fucking... (laughs) raked me over the coals for running for student council president I, when I was 11. I did not rake you over the coals. I was just saying because I love your son, <laughs> the way that you're I'm trying, worried about your son. The way that you're trying to humiliate me in front of my boy, <laughs> my eldest son. I'm trying to save him from the same fate that destroyed <laughs> you. But course he nails it we've hit on this as well Pearl Jam was so much bigger than Nirvana so much bigger yeah yes it wasn't even close not even close at the time Correct. it wasn't until he died and then they put out the MTV Unplugged album right. that Nirvana kind of uh, reasserted itself as a commercial force yep and by that point Cobain had been dead eight months thoughts on that bud my shit is her milk that's uh should have been my senior quote <laughs> should have been but it wasn't instead i went with a quote from ben folds five and the basketball diaries i i do like um just picturing it because of course you wouldn't be able to write the shit <laughs> yeah, so exactly. you'd be able to do s like uh <laughs> hashtag the at symbol yeah <laughs> People were like, what the uh, fuck what's going with this guy all right, that was the worst song in the album to me so far. Are senior quotes still a thing? I mean, high school is not a thing anymore. But if it yeah, was, I don't think when people go, a thing when people go back to, to I think living, we're the last two people alive. Is this it? Just in the garage? That's it. I think there's nothing left. Is this? Uh, well, this wouldn't be heaven. It wouldn't be hell. This is purgatory. Just us purgatory. doing us doing pods in a rented garage forever. It's 
purgatory a Judeo-Christian thing? That's all you guys. We don't have purgatory. You don't? No. So what what happens if you're only okay? Oh, you go to heaven. But so we don't you, have we don't have guess what? Spoiler, we don't have hell either. Okay, well that doesn't check out. Of course it does. So it doesn't matter what you do on this earth. Correct. You just go up to heaven. Yeah, but you gotta like you gotta like deal with Are there tears up there at yeah, least? Yeah, they're kinda like tears. Like you gotta like deal with shit before you get to the good part. So you're a ghost. No, no, you're dealing with it Ghosts, up there. Ghost, bro, exposed. Going, you have to hang out at 2270 El Contento <laughs> until you're ready to move on. So heaven, this is honestly all news to me. So Me too. I haven't thought about this since I got thrown out of Hebrew right, school. Right, you didn't even make it through Hebrew school. So right. you're maybe the source I can't <laughs> no, trust no, I know. So you die. All right, say you're a piece of shit. Say you're Timothy McVeigh, so the Oklahoma what, City bomber. Wait, hold on. Here's what, it's, yes. here's what I need to tap into. What? So I got thrown out of the Hebrew school in Pearl River. Yes. When I was 12, I started going to an Orthodox Hebrew school in Muncie, New York, where I was the only like reformed kid in a room of Orthodox Jews. So that's the yarmulke. That's the yarmulke. And the the whole thing. And I did that for one year pre-bar mitzvah, just so I can kind of get ramped up to get bar mitzvah. What was going on there, by the way? It was, I hated it. Were you judged there? Were you treated as? I didn't want to really have anything to do with anybody. I kind of kept to myself. And Interesting. Yeah, and I wore like a Yankees hat every weekend because I felt self-conscious about wearing a yarmulke. You know, it's interesting. So you grew up in Pearl River, yes. which is a, a very Catholic Where town. Where there were three and a half Jews. Right. And, um, you know, that is, so you were different from that perspective. Yes. And then, because it didn't work out at the Hebrew, the fact that there was a Hebrew school in Pearl River is a little surprising in retrospect, but there was. Didn't work out there. You were just too much of a bad boy. Yep. So then you go the bad to bad boy of Orth- Temple Bethlehem. You go to the Orthodox school. Yes. Where again, you're different. Yes. So you were different in Pearl River because you were not Catholic. Now you're at the Orthodox place and you're reformed. So it's almost like I would think that would inform certain elements of your personality, how religion um, always made you feel different. Okay. Or perhaps an outcast. Uh-huh. Take me through everything. Sure. Everything. Wow. <laughs> I don't think this is the time. You didn't get picked place. on, though, at the. No, not at all. Come on. I don't. <laughs> got to be careful here. No, of course I didn't get picked on. It was. Yeah. Why was, why was it so ridiculous that you'd be picked on? <laughs> Come on. I did have to apologize to God once, though, because I made fun of the Hebrew alphabet. Oh, what was yeah. your apology? I just had to be like, I'm sorry, Hashem, for saying that the two letters are exactly the same and it's stupid. He's like, it's all good. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, why did I bring this up? Why did I bring this up? Oh, heaven. That's yeah. where I learned that. That's the orthodox heaven. Is I that don't care anymore. Everybody goes to heaven. I, I know, we're so far yeah. removed from it. Let's move on. Yeah. I hope we end up in Kirk Cobain's in Jewish heaven. There you go. Do you have to be a Jew to get into Jew heaven? No. Good. I don't need to be right. In religion, I don't care. I just want to make sure if I if I pick the wrong one, which I didn't even pick, that I'm not going to be punished for that. I think you're okay. I think you'll be okay too, buddy. Thank you. Okay, this was also on the Unplugged album, if yes. you're familiar with it, um, but you're not familiar with other Nirvana stuff. Uh, always like this, Penny Royalty. Yeah, I like the Unplugged version better, for sure. Yeah, this one obviously is much heavier in the chorus. Um, 
Sorry, I just like it. All right, so here's the fun fact about this, and this this surprised me, Bob, before we started when I was just doing my um, hardcore homework on the show. This was scheduled to be a release in April 94. Oh, interesting. So the album cycle was still ongoing. For some reason in my mind, I always thought In Utero came out, comes out, it goes through the whole cycle, they tour behind it, the singles come out, then Nirvana is either on a break or Kurt Cobain's going through his personal demons, then he dies. But the truth of the matter is, when you look at the actual chronology of it all, they're in the middle of this album uh, cycle. Yeah. Like, they canceled Penny Royalty as a single release um, after his death. Um, and it's it's crazy to me, because it's just like, it all happened so quickly. I wonder if there's any, like, any stories, like, hit, kind of hidden stories, like shitty record label stuff about, you know, like Dave Grohl getting a letter being like, well, you owe us money because you didn't complete the tour you know like labels are right. famously shitty for stuff like that very shitty people i wonder if like dgc has any skeletons oh, let's get those skeletons yeah. we got to get matt money smith back on the show we do yeah uh yes it was recalled following cobain's death the single was re-released in april 2014 as a part of record store day and it charted at number one on the Billboard Hot Single Sales Chart. I feel like every song is number one on the hot Billboard charts now. They just find a way. Yeah, somehow. Um, I like it. I'm with you. I like the uh, Unplugged version better. But uh, this is kind of welcome after meandering through the darkness of this album for a few tracks. Agreed. You know that Dave Grohl and Kurt Cobain had an apartment together in Olympia, Washington in 1990? And they put together the the bare bones of this track on a four-track? That's cool. And as, as, as musicians, we can Wait, tell you so that a four-track is... Ha- it's half of an eight-track. It's a method of song sound recording developed in 1955. That doesn't sound like a musician speaking. <laughs> Sounds like a man reading Wikipedia, but... Wait, so they left Chris out? They were just like, hey, Christ! Nova Selleck was left out. Hey, Chris, we're getting a place together. Sorry, it's a two-bedroom. Bye. Bye. That's amazing. <laughs> the, remember that, well, it says, Christ, Christ, Nova Selleck. Very strange spelling to the name. I think it's K-H-R-I-S-T. And then if you were a real Nirvana fan, you knew it was Kurt was actually K-U-R-D-T. Yeah, the D-T thing. Was that on his birth certificate or something? Or maybe it was one of the first albums it was credited that way. And then you would see like a moody, potentially hot, but buried under makeup and a baggy T-shirt girl walking around with a picture of Kurt in a cardigan and a cigarette and the guitar. And underneath it would be like Kurt Cobain, 1967 to 1994. That's what it was like to live in the early 90s, folks. You know what I miss? Girls? Smoking. Smoking. Yes. And not me. Never a smoker. I just miss other people smoking. Yeah, so do I. We're so far away from it now. I'm kind of like nostalgic for it. I am too. I also, I've always, um, never an active smoker either, but I've always, that smell reminds me of um, socializing and family parties of my youth and being out in bars before 
smoking was banned and even people smoking outside bars. It just reminds me of, you know, being out and alive. Yeah, I just want to be, I want to be in a bar and I want to look across the bar and I want to see a girl smoking a cigarette. Yeah. Right. I want to get home from the bar in my Pico jacket is so filled with other people's <laughs> smoke that I have to air it out for three days before I can wear yep. it again. I want my jeans, which I don't really wash regularly anyway, to just smell like stinky stale cigarettes for weeks on end. <laughs> That's what it was like. Yep. Um, no, but strangely, I'm happy you brought that up because um, over Christmas, I went for a walk with my boys around the block. And, and they were both smoking. And they were both smoking yeah. cool cigarettes, <laughs> which I was like, oh, okay. Uh, no, but two people were sneaking smokes. They, it looked like they were visiting their family or like their parents or something. And it was like a, a daughter and her husband were outside the front door smoking a cigarette. And the reason I knew they were sneaking it is I was, as I walked by, I smelled the cigarettes. Uh. And it instantly gave me this feeling of um, being alive. <laughs> Because again, we've been isolated now for so long that yeah. just that that brought back a visceral feeling to me. And I even went to them about like I love that smell. And the guy goes shh shh, and he like he shushed oh, me because great. they were doing it uh, on the down low, which was funny because right. they were both like forty two. All right, I'm just gonna throw it out there. Uh, Should 20, we start smoking? It's 2021. Just turned 41. Should I start smoking? I'm, I want to. I'm going to say no in case Dean's okay, listening. Got it. Because I don't want um, anyone young and impressionable to think that smoking is a good idea. Okay. When you turn the music up, either nod or shake your head. Okay. okay you already you. know my answer. I already know the answer. <laughs> All right, this, this is a little on the nose, but it's in, in a very 90s way. This song is called Radio Friendly Unit Shifter. Yes, I remember that name. I remember laughing about that title when we were kids for some reason. I don't know what was funny about it, but I remember we would quote it. Unit. Probably unit. Shifting unit. Um, that's cool, though. I like the sound Picture. of that now. Yeah, I like it. Definitely it's like fine. it more I now. I could live without it. I know, but it's kind of it's interesting. Honest. It's interesting now, where at the time I wasn't interested in being interested. Yeah, I guess I, I kind of see the the title is more interesting than the track. Let me listen a little bit. Okay. Sounds like something Julian Casablancas would do with the voids. Oh, okay. I can see that. And then I wouldn't like it. Right, like, oh, get back in the studio yeah. with uh, Albert Hammond, please. Please, please. All right, up next is a short song called Tourette's. At this point, Kurt Cobain's like, please fucking turn off my album! Please! Throw it in the garbage! Go listen to Versus! Give it to please. Joey Costa! Just give it to Joey Costa! Get backstage at an STP concert and blow Scott Weiland! Listen, this is a ballsy album. I got to give it up. 
it's not a not an album I'm gonna revisit a lot, other than the uh, individual songs that I really like. But you gotta respect the integrity at play here. Oh, of course. It's uh, I I know where I learned what Tourette's was from the movie. What about Bob? Ah, great movie. Great movie, great scene. Underrated movie where the kid said he's afraid of Tourette's and then him and Bill Murray start yelling out swear words, jumping up and down on the bed. And it was just hilarious as a kid. Not a joke you could do anymore. No. Not a joke. Mental illness is not for comedy anymore. But it was back then. All right, so that is, I wouldn't call it a palate cleanser, but it's a nice setup for the closing track, which everybody knows. I forgot this was the closing track. Yep. the best line right here. Another, I just always like that. Well, another not so thinly failed shot at his own fan base. Yeah. I wish I was like you, easily amused. Um, great story behind this one, Bob. That same Olympia apartment that he shared with a young Dave Grohl. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grohl recalled that the song was something that Kurt wrote on a four track and a four track of course is a device that came out in 1955 eight track divided by two uh, in our apartment in Olympia I remember hearing it and thinking God this guy has such a beautiful sense of melody I can't believe he's screaming all the time <laughs> in the That little part there is one of my favorite um, little segments of any song in the 90s. I love wow. that whole married, buried, yeah. married, buried. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Just sounds so good. And then goes into this like kind of sad final coda. What song do you think was ultimately bigger, this or Heart Shaped Box? Uh, according to the charts, I believe it's Heart Shaped Box. I don't think it's close. This was the number one modern rock hit. Right. It was released as a double A-side with Rape Me. So I guess that just means they sent both out to radio. Yeah. Uh, but it didn't chart on the Billboard charts at all or anything. Like oh, the interesting. Top 100. Right, right. No, it's so hard to kind of get a grasp of where certain things fell with Nirvana because of what ha- when Kurt killed himself. Just the way that they just became. It felt like every song in the catalog was on the radio for the next year. And certain songs 
that maybe weren't singles became big right. hits at the time. This is how the Nirvana catalog comes to a close. I want to be a Wikipedia guy for a second. Okay. So the album debuted at number one. That just made me sad, by the way. I know. Me to too. Me too. Debuted at number one, despite the fact that Walmart and Kmart refused to sell the album. Yes. Walmart claimed it didn't carry the album due to lack of consumer demand. <laughs> the number one rock band. <laughs> like yes. one of the top rock bands in the That's world. That's absurd. And Kmart representatives said the album didn't fit with our merchandise mix. In truth, it was because both chains feared the customers would be offended by the artwork on the album's back cover. So then DGC ultimately issued a new version with reworked packaging in was 94. Was there like a, a vintage photo of a woman in lingerie or something? No, in the back. I feel like it was like, I believe well, let's it, look was. it up. I like how they don't mention that a song was called Rape Me. That didn't no, that's off. that's later in the paragraph. Okay, yeah. yeah I was like, say that, that really probably scared off. Oh, it's like, uh, what is, what's going on here? Maybe it's Christ Novoselic. No, it's, you know lingerie? what it is? It's like, it's Someone's like, in lingerie. No, it's fetuses and stuff. Oh, okay. Good old fetuses. Go. Old abortion stuff. Old abortion stuff. Back to stuff. the forefront. <laughs> Good old abortion stuff and the words rape me on the top. That'll help. Um, I want to play one more song. Because, uh, again, this speaks to his unwillingness to bend for the corporate machine and, and put a big single on it other than heart shaped box. I think it's one of their best um, pop songs. It was recorded during the sessions of in utero and then just buried and forgotten. But if you were into Nirvana or you had friends that were into Nirvana, you heard this song on different mixtapes. It is, it was called when it would, when you would find it on mixtapes, it would be called verse chorus verse. Yes. But, and it turns out there is a song now in the full, when you know, because they've excavated everything, a song called Verse Chorus Verse, but it's not the song that was originally known as Verse Chorus Verse, which is actually now known as Sappy. Uh, and here it is. All right. And I don't know how this didn't end up on the album, Bob, uh, but it's brilliant. And if you save yourself, oh, yeah. Of course. It appeared as a hidden track, Bob, on No Alternative. Remember that compilation? I do, yeah. It's funny, when you started playing this, I pulled up DGC Rarities to see if this was the one it was on, but that was Pay to Play. Yes, Pay to Play, yes. Which was Stay Away. Stay Away. And it was on the No Alternative compilation album. It was called Verse, Chorus, Verse. Yes, I remember that. But it is now 
labeled as sappy. And uh, since we're talking about B-sides and things that left off the album, I've never heard this song, and I'm not going to try to dig it up now, but the B-side to the All Apologies Rate Me Double A-side was a song called Moist Vagina, and I just want to want people to know that. I remember seeing that on CD singles at Tapeville. You know, they'd have those mm, bootleg CDs sure. or import. I remember seeing Moist Vagina and being horrified. And, and and little did you know, Bob, is that is exactly what you're going for. For what? Later on in life. When what? you have the sleepy sex mix on. Oh, that's what that it's, means. Yeah, it's not supposed to be dry. Oh, wait. Did you what? not know that? Whoa. Whoa. Holy Old shit. sandpaper Castro. You're learning about Jewish heaven, and I'm learning <laughs> about moist vaginas. <laughs> moist vagina. All right, uh, before I turn this off, I, I like this last part again. So I love his voice. Oh, what a voice he had. The music drops out, and you just hear Kurt. Let's listen. Fucking Steve Albini was like, no, bro, bury your voice in the mix and keep this off the record, man. If you really want to be respected by the Pixies and Black Flag, I wish there was just I, I, I wish someone else was in that studio like Sting or something. No, mate, put it on there. I don't know why Sting would be. I mean, pro. no, Sting would. I don't know. Yeah. Sting would probably get the song on the album, I think. Yeah. I know Duritz was busy with. Uh, August, but maybe like go over there, head over there with Albini. Like if In Utero was executive produced by Sting, I feel like Kurt Cobain might still be alive. Yep. Produced by Phil Spector. (laughs) All right. It's that time, Bob. And that's it for Nirvana. That's it. That's a wrap. We're not going to do Bleach. No. Because we hit the all, you know, About a Girl, which is the lead track on that, was um, the best song on that album. It was also yes. the best version of it isn't even on that album, but we've hit Nirvana hard. And you know what? If we're doing a 1990s podcast, which is in some level what this is, and it's about rock music, sure as hell, we better hit all three of those Nirvana albums. Of course. And we did. So we that's did. one more thing when we're trying to figure out when to stop the show. It's like, have we done Nevermind in utero and unplugged? Well, we did it. Yes. Check that box. We did it, but still we're zero for three. With Sugar Ray, so we got some time to go. Where would we start? Fourteen fifty nine or Floored? I know. I th- I'd say we go through the catalog from the beginning. We start with um, uh, Lemonade and Brownies. I think it's called. Oh right. I, mean, Is I don't that think the one Nicole Eggert on the cover. Yes, the Eggert cover. Oh, that Eggert cover. We're really in the weeds. But will look will, it up. Will Sugar Ray be this season's live? Stay tuned. <laughs> that is the worst <laughs> sell for anything, not just podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> we did it. We've jumped the shark. Thank you to everybody who makes this stupid podcast possible. Everyone at it's Patreon. So bad. Patreon.com <laughs> slash throwback pod. You guys are awesome. That's our catchphrase. It's so bad. Kicking in. Kicking in every month. Thank you to our top tier sponsors. Bruno the sponsor, the one and only. Uh Courtney and Wyatt. Kleine and Nancy over in Oz. Nyal, the Super Patroni, Yow. and everybody who's kicking in and making this thing possible. You're the reason we're still here. You're the reason we're doing this. We also like 
hiding from our families in a garage. And I think Dan secretly likes watching me drink beer now that he's sober. Boring. Yeah. I'm not he, sober. I'm just not drinking this month. Exactly. So start drinking. You're not sober. <laughs> Got you. You, you walked right so into that. You walked right into that. I can't even get over you it. Fucking quitter. <laughs> you fucking yeah. quitter. So You're thank you. Have to explain to my wife when I'm in some facility, care facility, how it happened. That not only did I, it started off as just to cleanse my palate, so I didn't have to drink four vodkas to get drunk, but you <laughs> shamed me and actually turned me into someone with a drinking problem. Good. You know what? I'd rather. It's better right. for you. All right. And I'm gonna start okay, smoking cigarettes. <laughs> just, I'm making, with you on that. just making so many poor life decisions. Let's, just, let's keep that on the down low that we're getting into cigarettes. <laughs> Oh, my God. It would be fun to try to hide that from my wife. Like, how long do you think I can go? Not very long because she'd smell it. I know. You know, in a second. You can't hide. That's why you got to try really hard. You would have to do it when she wasn't home. And like when you were driving to meetings and going to work and coming here. The only way, the only reason I'd want to do it is to see how long I could do it. So I'd want to do it. it. Yeah. Like I'd want to do it like on the way Yeah, but she'd get addicted by the time like. (laughs) The, the jig was up or I don't know if you're trying to get caught. I don't even, I don't even know either. Is, really. I don't know. I just miss smelling cigarettes. All right. What are we going to smoke? Marlboro's? No, something Marlboro light. I liked, I liked when you said cool. cool. <laughs> we'll just smoke some cool. Definitely not parliaments. Parliaments are, I worked at Walgreens and, uh, at the height of cigarette smoking culture still, it was 1996. And I could tell you back then that a pack of, um, Marlboro's and Marlboro light, were the two most popular cigarettes and it was two bucks plus 15 cents tax. So it was two fifteen for a wow. pack of cigarettes. Mm-hmm. Um, those are the two most popular brands. The uh, third most popular brand, Bob parliament. I felt like that was the one that the kids were smoking. Like people we knew in high school were smoking parliaments. parliaments. Yeah. Yeah. What was your mom's cigarette of choice? Cause I remember your mom is a smoker. My mom we and young. dad were smokers. Yeah. What were, what they smoked? Marlboro Lights. I wonder what it is about. Well, we're going to find out. I guess we will. It's about time. All right. This has gone down a strange path. All right. So thank you to everybody for their support of the show. We love you. Time to pick the song for the Throwback Podcast playlist. Um, hmm. You you started off, Bob. All right. What are you thinking? I think it's obviously Milk It, (laughs) my senior quote. Um, Here's what I think. I'm say sappy. Kind of. Wait, can we? I mean, we could do anything we want, but... That is true, but then I feel like we've never done that before. We can't do that now. Yeah, that'd be unfair. Um, I really enjoyed hearing Serve the Servants again. And um, Heart Shaped Box, I think, is just such an Mm. undeniable hit that still sounds great. All Apologies made me sad in the end. Mm -hmm. Penny Royalty is better on Unplugged. But it did make you feel, which I feel like is about positive for you. It did, but you know what? Like, I'd rather hear Heart Shaped Box again than All Apologies. Okay, I get that. Um, so I think it's between serve the servants, heart shaped box, or if you throw something else out there, I could be swayed, but Hmm. well, I'm with you. The penny royalty is better on unplugged. Um, I like dumb, but I wouldn't say that I would pick it. You know, I, I, I think heart shaped box is a little bit on the nose. I mean, it's, of course it is. It's, and we just did, we put baby one, not, you know, Brittany and Nirvana back to back. What a show this is. <laughs> uh, we just put baby one more time on the playlist. We did. Which was, we understood that was on the nose. So I feel like to get off the nose and to get onto a different part of the body, I would, I would definitely go with serve. The Let's service. do it. I love right. it. 
Plus, we were so fascinated by the beginning of the song yeah, and the opening line. It's, no, it's fitting. Get weird with it. All right. We're getting weird. We're such basic dudes. It's good to mix things up. Yeah. All right. There you go. Thank you to everybody for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with another all-new episode. Um, and uh, Where, if we remember, we'll tell the Kelsey Grammer story. I don't think we'll remember. We normally don't. But if you, all right, if you listen to this episode... The day after it comes out, set a clock, like 10 days later from when you listen to it, tweet at the throwback <laughs> and at me and Bob, tell the Kelsey Grammer story. Or you know what? The next time we record, I'll tweet out that we're going to be in the garage and somebody has to remind us. Okay. But what if you forget to tweet that? I don't know, man. Right. A, lot, a, lot of, a lot of things in the air. Let's go light up a butt. <laughs>